Hey everyone, welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where it's our mission to help you find and follow Jesus. Our message for today is from a brand new collection of sermons entitled Church Defined, where we will be focusing in on God's purpose and plan for the local church. It is through the church that the gospel will be shared, disciples will be made, and God's glory will be revealed. We hope that the message inspires and encourages you today. So here's Pastor Paul. And uh, I'm excited to get into the Word today. And so the first service, uh, they were shocked. I got to, I ran out of time and I still had two more points to go. So today, I, now I know we're going to speed it on a little bit more so you guys aren't here till uh, one o'clock. Is that okay? I'm, jo- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I've never done that. Okay. Take your Bibles. Let's go to Matthew uh, with me. Would you turn to Matthew chapter six and verse number 33? If you've got your Bible with me, you can turn there. That'll be the first passage we'll look up. Now we're in a topical study right now called the church defined. And what we're doing is we're talking about what the word of God has to say of who the church is, what uh, God's plan is for the church. And uh, really it's an important study for us as we begin to gather again in person uh, after so much time apart from one another, being online and uh, disconnected sort of in that way. And so today we're gonna continue the study, but I wanna remind you that the first week we had together, we talked about God's love for his church. Do you remember that? That was the first thing we talked about was God's love for his church. And what we learned in that study is that we are to be people who love what God loves and God loves the local church. He gave himself for it. He founded it. Uh, He has preserved it for all of this time. And we need to love what God loves. And so we saw God's love uh, for his church. Guys, can you help me out with the slides back there? Again, I don't know. I'm unable to control it for whatever reason. (laughs) Sorry. So God's love for his church. That was week. That's why I said that like eight times in a row. Did you notice that? Uh, God's love for his church. The second week we talked about, just last week, we talked about God's purpose for his church. And so we know that God loves the church. We know he gave himself for the church, but we also saw then his purpose. And his purpose for the church is that it would be the pillar and the ground of the truth. If you remember that from last week, we are to be the foundational uh, holder up of the truth of the word of God. We are to be the place where people who are searching for the truth can find the truth. We're to be the place that is preserving the truth for the generations. And God gave that gift to the local church. And it's an honor that we today in 2021, 2000 plus years later, are still able to be a place. And we need to commit to that as a church family, that we are gonna preserve the word of God, that we are gonna hold it up. We will be the pillar and the ground of the truth for the next generation. But today, what we're gonna do as we continue our series, we're gonna transition from our focus on uh, God's intent for the church and uh, what God wants us to do as a church. We're gonna move the focus now to us, okay? Those of us who are a part of the church, those of us who go to church, those of us who are members here at City Baptist, and how uh, as the Word of God teaches us, like we talked about, it's the pillar and ground of the truth, we're going to learn and see instruction how we are to integrate our lives into the local church, okay? God did not just preserve this institution for all of this time for us to be like, oh, that's really nice, okay? He preserved it so that we can be a part of it and actually involve and engage personally in the local church. And so the title of today's message is Our Passion for the Church. Our Passion for the Church. Now, the truth is we all understand what it means to have a passion about something, don't we? We know what that's like. 
We all understand what it means to have a passion. Now, if you know me, you know that I'm a person of many passions, okay? Uh, I like a lot of different things. There's a lot of things that I involve myself in. I love to snowboard. Uh, I love to uh, I love to spend time with my family. I should have said that first, sorry. I love to spend time with my family and I uh, love to uh, be around. I have passion for my wife, you know, I've got that. And I also have passion for snowboarding and I like to uh, play golf and I love baseball and I love, ba- uh, by the way, a lot of them are sports related. And uh, I like to uh, go on hikes. I like to go and risk my life climbing mountains. I like to do all sorts of things like that. Those are passions of mine. And every one of us has a passion. You might say, I'm a passionless person. Uh, I hope not. I don't really believe that to be true, though. We all have things that we focus on that we love to do. It could be a hobby. It could be a sport. It could be a career. It could be shoes. It could be uh, education. It could be renovating and upgrading your place. It could be saving to renovate and upgrade your place. It could be uh, just saving. It could be the latest technology. It could be your health. It could be that you're a political junkie, and that's all you want to ever focus on is look at politics and news. It could be cooking. It could be a relationship is your hobby, you know, or or finding a relationship. That's your hobby, whatever it may be. You've got all of these things that you love, and these are passions of ours. When I think about people of passion, though, I always think about my grandparents. I'll tell you what, my two grandpas. My, my grandpa Connor, uh, and that's what we called him, Grandpa Connor, he was a great man, and he, uh, he passed away several years ago. But when I think about hobbies, I think about my grandpa, because I think he retired at like the age of 52. How awesome would that be, by the way, right? Retired, at, you say, well, 32 would be better. Yes, but 52 is pretty good in the grand scheme of things. He retired very early, might have been 55, but he retired very early. And my grandpa had a passion, and his passion was trains. Yes, trains. That's what he loved. He loved trains. And so as soon as he retired, when I was a kid, we would go visit them. They lived in Michigan. And uh, he, in his basement, he had probably a 12-foot long, this room's only 14 feet. So imagine almost his entire room across. And uh, I'm sorry, this room is 17 feet. That room's 14 feet. So okay, about to here, huge table, maybe eight feet or 10 feet deep. And he had created this city. I don't know how else to put it. It was a city with train tracks all throughout it. He had tunnels. He had a river. He had a drawbridge. He had the little switcher where you put the thing on, you know, and it turns, and then you go and connect to another track. He had multiple tracks, and he had all of it electrified, you know, the scale uh, train, like the nice stuff. Now, I'm not talking like Thomas the tank engine, but like nice stuff, you know? And he would sit down there, and my grandpa would go into his basement, and he would leave my grandma upstairs, and he'd go into his basement, and he would take a conductor's hat, and he'd put his conductor's hat on. I'm, I'm not joking. Put a conductor's hat on, and he would walk over. He had this big stereo, and he would hit play on train sounds. I'm not even kidding you. And he'd have his hat on, and he'd be like, yeah, like just, and he would do it for hours, and it was all, I mean, it was beautiful, like trees. It was all the scale. It was, I mean, it was incredible. And as a kid, I still love going there, because we'd go downstairs, you know, and we'd put it on full speed, you know, and they'd pop off the rails, and we'd put our G.I. Joes on them, and they'd get knocked off in the tunnel, and we'd do all of this stuff, and, and I loved it, but my grandpa loved trains, and so when they came to BC, I went and we saw where the last spike in the uh, Canadian Railway was put in. We went and we rode the train to Whistler and we went to, I mean, anywhere there was trains, that's what we did. And we would go and my grandpa, he could literally tell you if he heard a train whistle, he'd be like, whoa, that's a 1927. Like he could tell the train by the whistle. It was amazing. He was awesome. And I, I miss him. He was a, he was such a great guy, but man, he had a passion. That's somebody who was involved in his passion. Okay. So we understand that. It's all he wanted to talk about, all he wanted to do. He was a subscriber to Train Monthly Magazine, you know, all of these things. I, I, I'm no kidding. If, the, if YouTube had been around, like it had been a thing when he was in it, he would have just been on there all the time watching. And also, funny thing about my grandpa, he played Call of Duty right up until he died at like 87. So anyway, if you know what that is, that's another story. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I'll never forget that. Um, but then my other grandpa, 
he had passions. And you know what his passion was? Barbershop quartets. <laughs> totally a different scale. And if you don't know what a barbershop quartet is, you can Google it. Uh, and he would travel the world and he would sing in these barbershop quartets. And when we go to his house, he had his entire home wired with huge, I mean, like old school speakers. And he would put a record in a barber and it'd be playing music. Just the whole place would be blasting. He was kind of deaf anyway. And so he would just crank it. And he loved it. He would go to uh, concerts and he would sing in groups. And anytime he was always humming and singing, he could pick a melody. It was amazing. But that's what he loved. And he did that all through retirement is he, uh, is he sang in barbershop uh, quartets and that was his thing. So those are two people just in my life that I say have passion about something. Maybe you know somebody like that in your life. And you're like, yeah, my mom or my grandparents or my friend, they're very passionate about it. We know that there's entire reality TV shows dedicated to people's strange passions and strange addictions as well, uh, which is a very odd study. But the point is, and what I'm asking is what is your passion then? You say, well, I'm not like your grandpa. I don't have a little corner of my house where I go and put a hat on and play music. And I'm not saying in that extreme, but what is your passion today? What is your passion? See, the way to identify what your passion is, is what you talk about. It's what you read about. It's what you think about. It's what you research. It's what you dream about. That would be what would be considered something that you are passionate about. It is what you give your time to without complaint. There's some things in my life that you said, hey, pastor, uh, you want to go and do this with me? I would rearrange my schedule. I would not complain. I'd say, yes, I'm going. I'm with you. Uh, there's other things. I'd be like, eh, I don't know. I'm busy that day, you know? But a passion thing, I think that is your passion is you would, you would change your schedule for that. You would make sure that you had the time. You would even sacrifice uh, time uh, in other things in order to enjoy that passion. When I had my old classic car, some of you remember that, uh, I spent a lot of hours working on that thing. And I'd, I'd spend late nights out in the garage on my back underneath a car trying to figure out what I was doing by looking at manuals and watching a YouTube video on this side. And okay, I think I know what I'm doing. And I'd, I'd work for hours and hours and hours. And I sacrificed time with my family, honestly, to work on that. It became a passion. It was something I was trying to do. And it was also my only vehicle uh, for my, it was our second vehicle. I needed it. So, uh, so I would do all of those things, but we become passionate about certain things. And for you, you could probably identify for me what it is. What is it that you spend a lot of time thinking about? What is it that you give your time to? But as many, and the point is this, as many things that we give our lives to, as many things that we are passionate about as Christians, if we are gonna be a people who are growing in the word of God, people of the word, people that are developing, then at some point we have to realize that the local church needs to be our passion. At some point we have to recognize that the local church needs to be one of our passions. It should be the passion of his people. Now, thankfully, the New Testament gives us a lot of clear and helpful instruction how we can grow and reveal our passion for the local church. And so this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at some subjects that are in the word of God and we'll back them up with the word of God. And we're gonna see how they are the outflow of a person that is passionate about the local church, okay? This is not, uh, these are not necessarily gonna be the outflow of somebody who's coming to church for the first time or a brand new Christian, but this is the outflow of a believer who is passionate about the local church. And these are things that we should focus on and build our lives around, like we're saying, build our life on Jesus Christ and the church is what he loves. And so we're gonna focus our lives around the local church. So the evidence of a Christian who is passionate about the local church is point number one this morning, you are going to make the local church a priority, okay? Make the local church a priority. If you're gonna be a person who's passionate, who thinks about and focuses on the things that God loves, and we know that's his church, then you are gonna make the church a priority. Matthew chapter six, verse 33, I had you turn there with me. And it says, but seek ye, say the word with me. Oh, that was, thank you, Jeanette. Say that word with me. <laughs> seek ye, 
first. All right, that was pretty, I mean, it was, it was okay. Let's do it again. Ready? Seek ye what? First. Okay, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we want to seek first that. And then it says, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, when we build, or we do build our lives around priorities, and the body of Christ needs to be a priority in our lives. And what happens is, is that when we make the local church a priority, all other things flow around it. Imagine a huge boulder in the middle of a river. This is the priority here, the church. Everything else then flows around that. And here's the truth. No matter what we might say about the importance of the church, okay? And we do. We say, yes, I believe the church. I believe it's important. Here's what's interesting. Your life, your attendance, and your involvement speaks the actual truth about what you believe. Remember, that's what we said. Something that you're passionate about is, is evident. It is, it is revealed. And so I think a better question that we need to ask ourselves is not, uh, do you love the church and are you passionate about the church? Because any Christian would say, yes, of course, God loves it. The better question I think is this though, what does it take for you to miss out on the gathering of believers together? Maybe that's the better question because then that opens up a whole nother discussion, doesn't it? Uh, because, it, you know, what does it take for us to miss? Now, you guys know I grew up as a pastor's kid. And so obviously my life was around church. You recognize that. I mean, my, my parents, uh, you know, we were going to church for everything. Uh, if the doors, the old saying is, if the doors were open, we were there. And more than likely, our family was opening the doors. Like we were the first ones there. And I mean, everything in my life surrounded it. And I played baseball growing up. I played sports. I did a lot of things. But you know what I never missed? I never missed church. I was always in church. I was maybe late to a game if it was on a Sunday, or I missed a game, but it didn't matter to my parents. It didn't matter how high or what level I was playing at. I was always in church. And I got to tell you, I missed some people's birthday parties. You know that? I missed some uh, people getting together. I missed some things throughout my life. But here's what I am so thankful for is that my parents instilled in me and that I knew I was confident as a child that the church was important to my family. And you know what that taught me? That the church should be important to me as well. And that's what I'm trying to teach our children that listen, the local church, this gathering of believers is valuable. It is valuable. And to my family, you say, well, that's just because your dad was a pastor. I know many, many people who families are not in ministry who have the same approach. And they say, you know what? We, we love life and we love all of these things and we want to have tons of friends and, and minister all this. But listen, for our family, church is the first priority. It's the main thing that we're going to focus on. That's going to be what we, our life goes all around. And guess what? You can do that and you can also raise your family uh, to not be, you know, strange. <laughs> That's always our fear, right? Oh, my kids are going to be weird and they all go to church. They have no friends. No, it is possible for you. Look at me. No, <laughs> you get, it is possible to, uh, <laughs> to raise your family around those priorities and teach that to them. Because listen, I want my boys to have that same desire in their life. When, they, when they're teenagers, when they're uh, college age, and they're faced with opportunities to skip out on things that they say, no, you know what, for me and my family, this is what we're going to, this is going to be a first priority here. It's important. The hard truth, though, is that for many people, church is simply a convenience. Church is simply a convenience. You know, as long as we don't stay up too late on Saturday, right? As long as uh, uh, there isn't a game on as long as we don't have a lunch later on that, you know, we're not sure if we might be a little late, we wouldn't want to dare be late for that. So we make sure we will just stay home today. As long as the children wake up, get themselves ready, feed themselves, and are standing at the door saying, mom and daddy, let's go to church, then we'll go. 
and it becomes too much of a convenience. And of course, I recognize now that we've got this great live stream capability, you just throw that in there as well, right? Like, oh man, a pastor looks way better on camera than he does on person. And uh, it's a filter, it's a filter, just saying. We got some Instagram filters on the back cameras there. It makes me look uh, all smooth skinned and everything, but um, it's a joke. Um, And so like, well, it's easier. It's just easier to watch online. I don't want to deal with this right now. Here's the thing I want us to understand today, church. Listen, God places a very high priority on his people gathering together. He places a high priority on the body of Christ being around, spending time with each other in person as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, Lauren mentioned Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 24 and 25. And I want you to go ahead and turn there. We've got it here on the screen. Now, I just want to give you context for a minute because context is important, right? Now, context of Hebrews 24, uh, 10, 24, and 25 is Hebrews 9, uh, 10, 19 through 39, which the whole passage there, and may even say in your Bible as a title of that passage, is all about drawing close to God, getting close to God. Now, I know many people today in this city who I say, hey, do you believe in God? They're like, yeah. Well, what do you desire? I want to go clo- I want to get closer to God. Sometimes people come to church for the first time. Hey, what brought you to church? I want to grow closer to God. Okay, so here's how you draw close to God. Here's what the passage says in context. First of all, you got to be saved, right? Simple. Woo. All right, light bulb. All right, so you got to get saved. You got to and put your faith in Christ. But then the very next thing that we see in that progression of verses is verse 24, where he says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So we're saved. And then there's this idea of community that's seen almost immediately here of provoking one another to good works. And then he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, in my notes, I put a little question mark where he said some is. I wonder who he's talking about here, right? You know, how many times does he call people out sometimes, right? Demas, he has forsaken me. You know, he call other people out, both good and bad. So I wonder when he wrote this, he said, some are forsaking the assembling. I wonder who he's thinking about. I don't know, right? Just anyway, these are thoughts I have when I'm studying. It's good to think those things. I wonder who he's talking about. Obviously, he's thinking about some, and there were some that were forsaking the assembling. But then he says this, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Whenever you see them talking about the day approaching, they're talking about the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, as they were looking for it. And so even more, he's saying, as we see Christ's return, we need to be gathering, we need to be encouraging one another and being together. And the point is, the church is a place where we provoke. Now, we think of that in a negative context, you know, context like, oh, that he provoked me to anger. Now, the idea of provoke means incite, to, uh, to stir to good works. That's a good thing, right? Yes, you can stir someone up to to sin. We know that. Come to our house. We have four boys. Someone will be provoking another person at some point in the house at some point, okay? But it is possible to provoke, to stir somebody to do good things as well. There is a thing as positive peer pressure. Did you know that? Maybe you've only experienced negative peer pressure, right? Oh, peer pressure made me do it. You can be a positive peer pressure as well. And that's the idea here is provoking to good works. And it's best achieved when we assemble together. He says, I want you to provoke one another to good works don't forsake assembling uh, together. You got it. It happens best within the local body. And the verse say, uh, says here to assemble together. We must not forsake assembling, uh, assembling ourselves and gathering together. Now we think of the word forsake typically in the context of Hebrews 13 verse five that tells us that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us, right? And we, that's, that's sometimes where we connect that word. And I've illustrated that to you before. The word forsake means to turn your back on to somebody. It means that, and so the idea is that Jesus will never turn his back on us. 
God is always facing us and he's always saying, come to me, right? Draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. That's what Jesus is always saying. I will not forsake you. But then that same word is used here in the idea of church gatherings. And what that means is that sometimes people, he says, we are not to forsake, meaning we are not to turn our back on gathering together when it is within our ability and when it is within our power to do so. Does that make sense? Okay, good, you're good, you're good. It makes sense. When it is in our power, like for God, we would say God is all powerful, right? So for him to turn his back on us is, is, is a very big deal because God has the power to help me with whatever it is that I'm going through. In the same way, if we turn our backs on get, uh, assembling and gathering as a group of people together, if we find reasons to not do it, and it's very simple for us to turn our back, then what you're doing is you're turning your back on something that it's within your power to be a part of. And I'll tell you what, for the most part, Barring some horrible um, accident or some, uh, you know, a surgery or some major health issue or something, it is within our power to put a priority on gathering together as the church. I know the question always comes up, well, what about vacation? You're saying I can never go on vacation? Of course not. I'm going on vacation in August. I'm going to miss a Sunday. Is that okay? I won't tell you which one because whenever I do, no one shows up. Actually, it's the opposite. Whenever I'm not here, everyone shows up. Uh, <laughs> Andy and Winnie came to church for two weeks, and I never even met them because I was gone. They never even saw me. Anyway, when they first came, I'm, I'll never forget that. Uh, I think, I, yeah, anyway, uh, what was I saying? Now, go on vacation, of course. Go on vacation. That's fine. Uh, I'll tell you this. As a kid, when we were on a vacation, guess where we went on Sunday? We went to church. Anyway, that's another story. I'm not saying you have to do that, okay? Uh, this isn't about like you taking a break or, or anything like that, okay? This is not like a, if you're not here, then you're, you know, God is angry. Okay, the point is, is we shouldn't. If it's within our ability to be here, we should be here. If it's within our ability, we should be here. Um, you say, well, what about work? What about work? Well, that, that's a question that you have to work through yourself. You know, before, and I would encourage you, church, before you accept a job, look at the job, <laughs> Look at the schedule. You know, it's within your ability to look at the schedule and say, you know what, this isn't going to work for me because I've got to go to I've got to go to church on that day. Uh, somebody in our church recently went through that with a job, and they and it was a, they needed a job, and the job was there. And they said to the person, their boss, they said, listen, I want it. They offered them the job. They said, but I've I've got to have the Wednesday nights because I go to a Bible study. I want to be a part of that. And uh, they were like, oh, I don't know. Guess what? They arranged the schedule to make that possible for them. That's really great. Sometimes we just don't ask, right? Sometimes we don't just say, hey, you know what? I got to go to, you know, I ha don't say it like that, by the way. I got to go to church. <laughs> I know that's what you would do. If I don't go to church, my pastor's going to be angry. No, don't say that. Don't throw me under the bus at all, okay? But sometimes you just got to say, listen, this is important to me. I'll tell you this. Uh, there's, there's many, many Muslims in our city who have Fridays off to go to mosque. And nobody seems to have a problem with the jobs there, Okay. We do have, uh, there is such a thing as religious discrimination. If you can build a, a right case, listen, I, this is part of who I am. This is my faith. You can actually get time off to do what you need to do, okay? Now, I'm not saying you need to go in and cause a ruckus, but if you're looking at a new job, right, if you're facing something, you can make that a priority. Remember, it's about priorities, right? Priorities. I'll tell you what, if you make it a priority, church a priority, God will bless you. You're not going to just be like, oh, if I'd only taken that job that I worked on Sunday mornings, I would be fine. No, God will provide for you. And maybe he wants to test you, right? Maybe he wants to build you, he wants to grow you in that sense. It is possible. And so the, the point here is that our priorities, our choices reveal our priorities. 
Our choices reveal our priorities. And as people who desire to love what God loves, who are growing in our passion for the church, then we need to make it a priority. Make it a priority. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't find, don't, don't so easily find excuses to not gather. Okay? God wants us, this is, this is about growth here. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit more in a moment, but it's about growth. So number one, make the local church a priority. But another evidence of a person who's passionate about the church is that they will join the church. Point number two, join the church. Okay, Acts chapter two, verse 41. It says, and they that gladly received his word. This is in Jerusalem. This is the early church going on. They that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day were added unto them. The key phrase, added unto them, speaking of there's already an existing body, about 3,000 souls. You know, when we look at the explosive growth, uh, growth of the early church there in Jerusalem, we see three things happening. Number one, people were being saved, accepting Christ. Awesome. People were being baptized, biblically uh, baptized and, and identifying with their newfound faith in Christ. And then we also see people being added, meaning committed by joining to that local body of, the believe, of believers. And a person who has a passion for the church will want to be a committed part of what is happening. You know, if you really love a sport, if you really love a, a chess, maybe that's not a sport, is it? If you love chess, uh, you're going to want to be a part of a chess club, you know, at some local park. You want to be a part of it, right? If people who have similar passions always want to join together, don't they? Uh, whether it's uh, bowling or golf or I don't, I, I don't even know sports, sorry. Knitting. Uh, what other things are there? What's that? Book clubs, yes. Reading, book clubs, yes, yes. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not very good at this. Uh, book clubs, all of these things. You want to join with people who have similar interests. And, and here's the point. As Christians, we have a very strong similar interest, don't we? It's Jesus Christ, him crucified, risen from the dead, uh, and salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. And you might be thinking, well, why would I want to be a member of a local church? For some of you here today, uh, maybe you've only been at churches that don't have membership. That's actually very, very common today. Many churches have no formal membership at all. They'll have a pastor and some leadership will be a part of a board and maybe be legally a part of it but no one else is a member of the church. Nobody else is a part. They just say, hey, just come and off we go. Uh, well, here at City Baptist and traditionally Baptists have always been strong on having membership where people choose to join themselves to the body of believers in an in a affirmation of doctrine and of belief and a vision of where they're uh, wanting to go. And so when you become a member of a local New Testament church, the reason is, is so that you uh, would receive specifically accountability, care, uh, as well, encouragement and leadership. And I believe this as well. When you join yourself to a local church, you receive an opportunity to obey Christ that is only possible within the context of the local church. It's not, it's not possible as an individual believer. I'll, I'll explain it. You know, scripture is very clear that we are to submit to spiritual authorities in our lives, Hebrews 13. Uh, scripture tells us that we are to care for widows, 1 Timothy 5 teaches us, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 5 teaches us that we are to practice grace-filled church discipline. Uh, we know that we are to elect deacons. We know that we are to support pastors. We know that as a church, we are to gather together and we're to give together to send out missionaries. Listen, all of those things that I just mentioned are not possible except within the local church body. For example, when scripture says in Hebrews 13 uh, to, uh, you know, you're to follow spiritual leadership, well, does that mean me? Does that mean somebody on YouTube? Does that mean the church over here? Does that mean the church over here? Does that mean the church, which spiritual leader, right? And it's a point, it's, it's, it's in the context of a local church. And when you join yourself to a church, you understand it and you grow in this community of faith as well. I would say it's for our own protection and maturity. You know, if you view church as sort of like a buffet, 
You guys remember buffets? We don't have very many of them here. There's used to be foodie goody. You guys remember that one? No? That was great. It's over by, over by the mall there. And uh, <laughs> it, America is known for its buffets. You know, you go in and there's just food everywhere and you just, you know, as a kid, we used to go to Uncle Willie's, which is over by Metrotown. I think it's still in existence, you know. And we would go, and as a kid, my favorite was uh, fried chicken, French fries, and tapioca pudding. That was, I mean, that was it. I just, I didn't mix it together, but I would just eat that. But I loved it because you can just pick and choose what you like, right? Okay, that is not what church is to be for the believer, where we're just like, ah, I like this, or I like this YouTube channel, I like this sermon audio, I like uh, this blog, and I'm just going to sort of cobble this all together. Let, let, me under, let me help us understand something. Church is here for our growth and for our protection and for our encouragement. Think about it. True godliness and growing in our faith is actually difficult. Did you know that? One of the things about church, I got to tell you, is that when I come to church personally, I am convicted simply by being around you as a church family. You know what I'm convicted of? I'm convicted of your great faith. I'm convicted by some of you who've been through such great trials, and yet you've come through that trial with joy and giving God the glory. I, you, I am convicted by many of you who have overcome great paths of sin and, and evil, I'll just put it, I mean, harmful paths, and through the grace of God, you have come through it, and you're not living in your past, you're living in the present, you're lo- looking to the future, and you know what that convicts me of? That makes me feel like my faith is not enough, and that's convicting to me, and that's okay. Some of you, you, you work uh, stressful and very difficult jobs, but yet you're faithful to church, you're faithful to serve. You know what that convinced me of? Makes me think I'm lazy. <laughs> it convicts me of, of being slothful. Uh, it convicts me in my heart and makes me want to serve God more passionately because of you. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? There's a, there's a uniqueness that happens in the body of Christ that, that challenges us, not just from the pulpit, not just from a preaching time, but challenges us individually that is only possible through the gathering of the church family Amen. together. Amen. As well, it provides a safe place, right? We all want a safe place. The church is a safe place for you to confess and to get right with God and to learn and to grow together. But if church is just a place you attend and you never join yourself to it, what happens is that just when your heart may be beginning to expose to the Spirit and growing in that way, you might leave at that point because there's no commitment to it. When you're not committed to something, it's very easy to leave, isn't it? Right? Uh, whenever somebody, I say, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? And they're like, ah, maybe. Guess what? No, <laughs> they're probably not going to be there, <laughs> right? Probably not going to be there. Uh, but if they say, oh, yeah, we're going to be there. And I tell Jeanette, yeah, they said they're going to come over. And uh, I have a text proving it. They're going to come over. Well, guess what? We're going to prepare because they committed to it. And guess what? They typically show up. You know, unless something happens, that's fine if something happens, okay? Uh, I understand that. I understand circumstances. That's fine. But if, they're, if, if they tell me, first of all, maybe, I know it's not happening. <laughs> I know it's not happening because there's no commitment. And so there's that commitment there that says, hey, I want to be a part of this. I'm going to be here. And I'll tell you what, it says a lot to the rest of the church family as well. When you stand up here and if you say, hey, pastor, I want to join and we talk through it and we work out, oh, you know, there's some things, there's some processes we go through, certainly. And, and you say, I want to be a part of this church. And you stand up here and I bring you to membership, that tells our church family, a, it sends a strong message. Hey, they want to be a part of what's happening here. And that encourages them. Amen. It encourages them that God is working and that he's doing something. And people want to be committed to what God is committed to. The bottom line is that local church membership is a question of biblical obedience, not personal preference. It's about biblical obedience and joining yourself to what God is trying to do. Jim Elliott, the missionary who was martyred for his faith, famously said this, wherever you are, be all there. I love that. 
Live life to the hilt. That's the idea. I mean, just give it your all. Every situation you believe to be the will of God. Now, that's the key phrase. If you believe it to be the will of God, then you need to give it your all, okay? If you believe that being a part of City Baptist or a local church is your is God's will for your life, I'm not saying it's only here, okay? Just so you know, if God leads you somewhere else and you find a place that you want to join, fantastic. Praise the Lord for that. But I'll tell you what, be all there, okay? Be involved. Be there at the services, serve people, serve the pastor, serve one another, encourage each other in the faith. And uh, man, you will get the most out of it. I love that. Wherever you are, just be all there, right? You ever talk to somebody like, I feel like you're not really with me right now. You know, no, be all there, be connected in. And this should be our attitude when it comes to the local church and be willing to join it. And so we see here that we need to make the local church a priority. If we are people who are passionate about the church, right? This is what all comes back to. God, love what God loves. It's the local church. And then if we're going to be passionate about what God loves, which is scriptural, by the way, right? If we're to be Christ-like, pursue the things that he pursues and what he desires for us. We need to make the church party, join the local church. And then thirdly, we need to biblically submit to spiritual authority. Biblically submit to spiritual authority. Look at 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. It says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, I referenced it earlier. It says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Now, this is a bit awkward for me, of course, talking about this, but these are biblical principles. Like we talked about last week, we're to be the pillar and ground of the truth. And so I'm just gonna preach the truth to you. This is in the word of God here, okay? Oftentimes, church, we pray for good leaders, but we don't ever pray that God would help us to be good followers, And what we see in this passage here is that God is saying it is good for us when we are followers that are a joy to lead. You know, I've been a pastor in ministry full-time for 16 years. I've been a pastor for seven years uh, here at City. And I've seen the difference that's illustrated here. I'll tell you what, I have pastored and I've experienced pastoring with grief. I've experienced that. And I'll tell you what, I've experienced pastoring with joy. And you know what I prefer? Joy. (laughs) You got it. Just like what you would prefer. I prefer joy. I love pastoring with joy. And and I tell you, as much as I prefer it, I just get, I don't fear trouble, just so you know. Okay. I don't fear uh, scriptural confrontation or difficulty, things that have to happen. That's part of the job, certainly. But I do know this we can live as people that are evidence of the fruit of the Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and to uh, uh, release those um, principles to the world. Now, I recognize that people think that this is every pastor's favorite verse, right? I do. I recognize that. You think that, man, pastor probably has a t-shirt with this on it somewhere, you know, or uh, if pastor ever got a tattoo, that'd be the verse right on his back right there, you know? Obey, that's a joke, okay? Um, uh, or maybe it's on his car. It's his bumper sticker. No, 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 no. I want you to understand something here. Listen, when I read this verse, I don't, I, I jump over the part that says, you know, obey, which means to support and encourage, okay? I look at down in the middle of the verse there where it says, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account. To me, that's the, for me, as your pastor, that's the key part of this verse right here. Because what it says here is that I must watch for your souls. That means I must be a part of caring for your soul. And you know what that takes? That takes spiritual insight, doesn't it? That takes boldness sometimes to speak into a person's life who maybe doesn't want to have me speak into their life but yet the responsibility is there to care for the soul. 
because one day I will stand and give an account to God. Now, I will stand and give an account to God for my personal walk with him, just as you will. And as, get this, you will also stand before God. Those of you that have families, you will be giving an account for your family. You'll give an account for your children and the responsibility that God gave to you. And guess what? I'm going to give an account to God for that as well. But on top of that, as a pastor who's been called and led to do this, I'm going to give an account for you as well. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And I know we say, oh, wow, pastor loves the first part of the verse. <laughs> you know, you need to follow and you need to, you need to uh, pursue those that, you know, and follow after those that are, are your leaders. But listen, nobody else or nobody really understands, I feel, the responsibility and the pressure that is there. And so what I want to encourage you with today is that as a person that is passionate about the local church, that you be passionate about your leaders as well. We have a great leadership team here. By the way, I'm not... As, a, as, you're, as I'm the lead pastor here, I'm not just like all on my own, just so you know. I have a leadership team of five uh, men and families that keep me accountable, that I talk to, and I have other pastors from other churches that I am accountable to as well, that I have set up as accountability people in my life that check on me, that, that I speak to. And so there's a level of accountability, just so you know. This isn't just you know a pastor just out there doing whatever he wants, because I recognize that there are a lot of people who abuse this, okay? There's a lot of pastors, unfortunately, whether their intentions are right or not, but they've abused this passage and they just say, whatever I say goes. And, and I mean, they, the extremes are crazy out there, okay? We know that. By the way, anything that is good, the devil's gonna try to duplicate, right? And make it look good, but it's gonna be wrong and it's gonna be abusive, all that. We know that, okay? So this is not what I'm talking about here. We're talking about as an as a individual though, who's passionate about the local church, we're gonna commit to support and follow the leadership that God has set up. And those who are not in that position of leadership, we should desire to submit. That means not resist. Don't resist their God-called, God-led leaders that are trying to mature in the faith and trying to lead the church in a direction with vision. Don't resist that. Embrace it. Embrace it. We need to do what we can to make their job enjoyable. Third John chapter 1 and verse number 4, he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, parents use this verse, you know, and I've used it, but the context is he's speaking about people who follow him in Christ, so spiritual believers. And so he's saying, I have no greater joy that they follow after me and that they walk in truth. And that's my desire as a pastor is that as a church family, we would walk in truth. And it gives me great joy to see you flourishing and growing in Christ. It gives me great joy uh, as you support uh, the work of God and as you serve passionately. And so I'd ask you, church family, would you pray for me? Would you pray for my family? Would you pray for our leadership team? Would you protect us? Would you protect us? Would you be there for us? Would you give us grace? Just as much as if some horrible thing happened in your life and or you fell into some sin and, and something happened and you came to me and said, Pastor, I need help. And you would want me to lovingly guide you and give you grace through that trial in the same way the church family can love and give us grace as well. Did you know I'm not perfect? (laughs) <laughs> did you know my family's not perfect? Did you know that? And man, Satan loves to get us to look at each other and go out. We're not perfect people and no, are we claiming to be perfect people, okay? But we need your support and your love. And man, it just, God just makes things work together so perfectly. And so he gives instructions for all of us. God doesn't just say, hey, there's a pastor and you need to do whatever he says. He says, okay, you need to follow, but you know what? Man, there's a lot of responsibility on that guy. There's a lot of responsibility on that leadership team. And so we need to support that and encourage. And a person who's passionate about it is going to do that. 
Fourthly, number four today, a person who's passionate about the church is going to support the church financially as well. Support the church financially. I'm sure you're thinking, yep, I knew he was going there today, right? <laughs> we'll just get all the hard subjects in one day. Sound good? All right, good. Let's get, let's get, let's get through it. Good. Malachi chapter 3, verse number 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. This is God speaking. And prove me now herewith. I love that phrase. Prove me, he says. Say it, the Lord of hosts. He says, prove me if I will not open uh, you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Luke chapter six and verse number 38, Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all shall be measured to you again. Same, in the same way you give, you will receive blessings as well. Listen, giving financially as a believer is a meaningful expression of worship. And here's why. When you give to the Lord, you are offering to him, in essence, your life. Because, because, and here's why, our money, okay, the finances that we earn is a tangible return for what we have invested ourselves in, isn't it, right? It's a tangible return for the investment of labor. I saw somebody this week say, do you know how you turn $40 into $400? He said, put the $40 in gas in your car and drive to work. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was good. That's great. <laughs> it's good. I thought it was good. So, but you understand the point. The point is, is that, okay, we work and we work hard and we see this return that comes to us. And so for us, it's a tangible understanding of the labor that we're putting in. And so then when we take what God has given us and blessed us with the ability to work and the job that we have, and we take that and we then give that back to God, it's a tangible expression of our worship to him because it is something that we have labored for. See, giving to uh, God is obedience to his command. And when we fail to do so, scripture tells us we are actually robbing God. Malachi 3.8 says, will a man rob God? It asks us a question. How can a man rob? We say, well, he owns everything. Here's how though, he says, yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? How have we robbed thee, God? He says, in tithes and in offerings. Now, God says very clearly here, when we give our tithe, when we give an offering to God, we are telling him that we are trusting him to meet our need. And when we withhold that, we're essentially stealing from God because God is saying, this is what I'm asking of you. See, when we give God our first, here's what I want us to get. When we give God our firsts, when we give God uh, in that sense that we give to him, he will always supply our need. You know, for our family, I have always committed to put the Lord and our obedience to him first above all else. And I can honestly tell you this, we have never gone without, never gone without. God has provided for us so many times, miraculously, I can't even tell you how many times, over and over and over again to supply our needs. And honestly, I'm just saying this from personal experience, I cannot afford to not give to God because God has provided and cared for us in such an amazing way. Now, there's a lot of things that are very worthy that are, exist all around the world, but because the local church is where we are to be nourished spiritually, it's where we are committed to, it is what we are giving ourselves to, it should be the first place that we invest financially. And I really do mean that. Before we invest in all of our other investments and Bitcoins and everything else that we're doing, we should be investing in the work of God through the local church. Now, I understand we talk about giving, everyone gets very uncomfortable. It's amazing, right? Where your heart or where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? And all, all of a sudden it's like, I have a heart attack, right? I have a heart attack. He's talking about my money. He doesn't even know my money. And so we have this, this thing and we get upset. Listen, 
but it is a biblical truth. We cannot pretend it does not exist, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's, it would be wrong of us to do that. Now, I'm not going to get into a huge long discussion today about this. There are some people, of course, who believe that. Well, tithing, the idea of giving 10% of our income to God through the local church, people would say, well, that's an Old Testament. That's the law, right? And I am not under the law. I'm under grace. I am free from that law. And I understand that argument. But I'd also just want to remind us, okay, that um, within the Jewish culture, they often, depending on the year, gave three different tithes throughout the year. Three different 10%, 30%. So now 10% is not looking that bad, right? Okay. As well, I would say, Abraham, before the law, gave tithes, didn't he? And then Jesus, when he was on earth, I want you to see this in Luke 11, he was speaking to the Pharisees. He said, uh, Luke eleven forty two. but woe unto you Pharisees, for ye tithe, mint, and rue, and all manner of herbs. That means that they, if they had a plant that had 10 leaves on it, they went one, two, three, four, or if they only had seven leaves, they would, I don't know what, a 70% of that leaf, they would just rip it. They wouldn't even give them the one, they just rip it, and they would give that. They were so meticulous about the law, so meticulous about the tithe, okay, and he says, you're Pharisees, and we automatically think Pharisees, boo, bad, right? But here's what I want you to notice. He says, you tithe and pass over judgment and the love of God. But notice what he says here. These ought ye to have done. Meaning, you should give, is what he's saying. It was right of them to tithe, but it's not right for them to leave the other undone. Now, this is a great principle here, because sometimes people give money to the church, and then they don't do anything else. Does that make sense? I know people personally, they don't go to our church, but I, in my ministry, that people that give money to the church, but they never actually go to church. And they say, well, I send a check, so I don't need to be there. It's really, it's an odd way of looking. That's the idea of the Pharisees, right? They're like, well, I gave the leaves. I tithe of everything I had, but I'm not going to give justice or love or whatever it is, okay? There has to be a balance in our life. We understand that, okay? Balance it all out, certainly. But Jesus did say that we should give. We should be a part of it. Now, if we were to take the testimony of the local church in Acts, that's the other thing. People say, well, you don't see specifically 10% mentioned in the early church. And that's true. There's also the assumption that all of those Jewish believers would have been very glad and been very accustomed to giving. And you guys recognize that, right? These are all Jewish people who gave and tithe. And they, I am, I say assuming, I know that they would have been carrying that through. But let's take the early church for an example. What did the early church do when it came to giving? They sold all that they had and they gave it to the church. They sold their property. It says that all things were common. That would mean that all of us would sell everything that we have and give it all to the church. And then we say, now what? And then the church would say, all right, well, come and stay here in the tap studio. <laughs> You're like, okay, I don't want, okay. That, you say, well, that was a unique time in history. Yes, it was. But the principle of sacrificial giving is there. That verse I read earlier about you know, he says, if you give, be pressed down, shaken, right? And all that. That's, that's the idea of a Slurpee at 7-Eleven. <laughs> and you go in there and you fill it up and you're like, kung, 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 right? And you get another inch and then you fill it up again, right? And then you kung, 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 all right? And then you put the lid with the dome on it, right? Then you put it back under the Slurpee machine and you put it, right? And then you kung, 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 kung. I just know this from watching my kids. That's what he's talking about. He says, you give and God says, I promise you, I'm going to provide. And it's going to be more than you could think would fit in your life. More than you think could fit in what God has given to you. And so the church, the early church gave everything. Later on, in, under intense persecution, Paul said that out of their poverty they gave, meaning they had nothing, and yet they gave. Uh, Jesus gave such props to the widow who gave the last of what she had, didn't he? And the, and the point of this all is that a biblical approach is that we give. 
Now, I would say, I would say that the idea of the tithe, the 10% is a great place to start giving, is a great place to start. And you say, Pastor, if I did that, it would be over for me. And, and I've had people say that to me. You say, no, there's no way, Pastor Paul, that I could afford it. I just can't do it. My question to you is this, have you tried? Have you tried? Jesus said, prove me, didn't he? He said, try me. Jesus said, come on, come on, bro. <laughs> try me, <laughs> right? See if I don't bless you, is what he said. See if I don't do that. See if I don't pour out blessing upon you. And so many believers today miss out on God's faithfulness because they've just never taken that first step. Now, I'll make a promise to you today. And I've made this promise before to our church family and no one has ever taken me up on it. But I promise you this, if you, if you have never given faithfully, if you've, if you've never tied, let's say, I promise you this, if you would, let's say August 1st is coming and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna, God's spoken to me and I'm gonna do this. I promise you that if August 28th, August 29th, if you literally do not have enough to pay for your bills, I want you to come to me and I will personally take care of it. Not the church, me personally, I will do it. That's how much I believe in this. Jeanette's shaking a little bit over there. <laughs> Here's why I'm willing to say that, because I believe God will provide for you. I believe God will maybe show you how maybe your priorities are, are off a little bit. It's something so interesting happens in life when we give God our first and our best. It's too often people give God their leftovers. They tip instead of tithe. And, and it's just like, oh, I got a, yeah, I got five bucks here. Like, okay. Okay, if we would just be faithful in this, I promise you God would provide for you. And I do mean that. And I, I, I 100%, I wouldn't tell anybody, just so you know, I wouldn't, t- I wouldn't bring you up here on Sunday, so they said they didn't have enough money for their uh, rent. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna do that, okay? I would not do that. But if you came to me personally, I would help you with that because I'd be used, I wanna be used of God to provide for you in that sense. I really genuinely mean it. And I've, and I've had people come up to me before and be like, oh, I'm totally taking you up on that. And they've never done it. And it's interesting how God has just provided so uniquely for them. So many great stories about this. Think of one guy uh, at our church in Texas, our first ministry, and uh, he was just drowning in debt, made great money. I don't know how else to put it. Like back then, this is 2005, he was making well six figures. And we lived in Texas, which is like the cheapest place in the world to live. <laughs> like, you know, we bought a house for $100,000, like, you know, and he's making more than that in his salary, just drowning in debt. And we had this conversation and he was like broken. He's like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. His wife worked as well, full-time. She worked full-time. He worked full-time. He made great money. And I was just like, man, dude, like, I don't, you know, and I, I was making at that time, like, what, like 25,000 a year? Yeah, it was really big time, you know, big time job, right? <laughs> I think I made $473 a week. Sorry, that was my salary, yeah. Uh, church work is very luxurious. It's great. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I'm talking to this guy, I'm like, man, this guy's got tons of money and he's so much debt. He's super stressed, married, so much struggle. And I just asked him, I said, Hey, do you tithe? That's what I asked him. And I, I, it took a lot of guts for me to ask him. He's like, no, man. He's like, I can't do that. You know, I told you, you just told me everything. So all I said to him said, I can't help you. I said, but all, all I say is this, if you give God his first, he'll, he'll provide for you. And he's a great guy. We're friends uh, to this day. Uh, and he, I would have to say it was probably six months from that time. We never talked about it again. Never talked about it again. Six months, he came back to me. He said, you'll never believe this, man. He's like, I just paid off my second vehicle. And uh, through that time, he got a promotion. His wife got a promotion. He got an unexpected bonus through his work. Just so many things that God did. And, and now, 
Follow him on Facebook. Man, the guy's got a sweet house and right there. He's doing, he's doing great. He's doing really, really good. Um, and I believe it's connected to that. Now, here's what I'm not saying. If you tithe, God is just gonna make you rich. That's not what I'm saying because that's not God's design for everybody. By the way, most of us couldn't handle it. Most of us couldn't handle it. It's a very rare person that can handle God-given wealth that still maintains generosity. It's very rare, okay? Um, but God can lead us to be faithful in this. And so let's be faithful. And so I challenge you with it. It's a hard thing to talk about. I know, I know. Listen, we all live in Vancouver. I live three blocks from here. I know what it's like to live in Vancouver. I know how much it costs to live in Vancouver. And every time we've moved, our rent has gone up by about $1,000 every time we've moved. And I rent in the city and I know what it's like, okay? But I do promise you this. If you'll be faithful, God will be faithful to you. I promise you that. I promise you that. And if you don't wanna take my word for it, take God's word for it. Try me, he says, try me and see if I don't care for you. We need to support the church financially. A person who is passionate as well, and I'll wrap this up very quickly. Number five, will connect with their church family. Connect with their church family. The church is all about doing life together. It's more than just sitting together in a, in a room once a week. It's about connection. It's about life together. The New Testament term for this is fellowship. I'll give you a long definition of what fellowship means. It means a uniquely Christian relational experience. You know, you don't have that at your work, do you, right? Like, hey guys, like break's coming up. Let's go have some fellowship in the break room. Like nobody says that, right? You know, the horn goes off like, woo, break time. Let's go fellowship. No, it doesn't happen. Fellowship is a unique Christian relational experience. You guys are just laughing because we're done talking about money. I get it. Like, ah, yeah. release. Okay. Um, it is participating, <laughs> I can't even say the word, participating together in the life and truth made possible by the Holy Spirit through our union with Christ. That's the whole thing there. Fellowship is sharing something in common at the deepest possible level of human relationships, which is our experience of God himself. Our faith, our, our connected faith in Christ is what draws us together in a unique way that is not experienced anywhere else. You will have deep, meaningful relationships with unbelievers, but there is just something that takes it to the next level as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so fellowship means belonging to one another. I wanna walk through these really quickly. So Tim, you ready? We're gonna roll through them real quickly. Number one here, these are the one another's in scripture. Oh, you just went right to the end. Okay, that's fine. Okay, we'll go one at a time. Here we go. I'm just gonna go quick. These are, this is what scripture says about our relationship. We're to love one another. We're to be devoted to one another, Romans 12, five. We're to honor one another. We're to rejoice with one another. We're to serve one another. We're to carry one another's burdens. We're to forgive one another, encourage one another, show hospitality to one another, confess our faults to one another, and to pray for one another. Ooh, that's a big list. Huge list right there. And this is the, the, this is the tangible scriptural idea of what fellowship is, of what a community connected together in Christ, a local church. All of these show us that the church is not just about programs. It's not just about, man, they have like this fun thing. That's not what it's all about. It's about more than that. It's about shared life. And that can only come as we reach out to one another, as we connect with one another, as we willingly uh, meet and connect with people that are not like ourselves. You know, sometimes it's, I get it. You know, we can have people with similar lifestyles or similar uh, life stages and children or, or, or whatever. And we find these commonalities and those are great. And those are people we build great relationships with. But I'll tell you what, something that's so unique to the church is that we are around people that we maybe would never spend time with. Uh, I, in the first service, uh, Hal Griffiths was here 
And uh, many of you know how uh, from when we all used to have church together. <laughs> Maybe you haven't seen him in a while. Um, but uh, recently, uh, a few months ago, he and I were hanging out with uh, some other guys in the church. And uh, after we were done, one of our uh, connect groups that we had out in the park or something, and afterwards I got home and he texted me. He's like, hey, and he named somebody who was at the group. And he's like, man, I really like that guy. He's like, you never spend any time with him. And he got to know him through the group and they would maybe had never really connected within church, you know, just for whatever reason, different uh, serving and different things. But they connected in that moment. And he just said, I really enjoy spending time. I can't wait to get to know them better. And they become better friends through that. And I think that's so great because these are two people from different age spectrums uh, who maybe would never spend time together outside of church, but because of Christ, they have that unique connection. And that's something that we should pursue and look for as well. It might be awkward at first, but you'll make some great friends. Some of you that are young adults, we got a lot of young adults. I'm so thankful for you guys, but you can learn a lot from a friendship with an older person. Did you know that? We're not that weird. I mean, well, yes, but you can actually grow a lot. Uh, I have close friends that are far older. I told, talk about my grandfather. I miss him so much because, man, he was, he was close to me. And I love connecting with him and learning from him. We are so much more than just hobbies and activities that we're connected in. We're so much more than that. We're so much more than the row we sit in. Well, I sit in this row. They sit there with me. Now we're friends. And yeah, you should be friends. But it's more than that. It's our connection with Christ and our passion for the church should cause us to live in that sense. But we must be willing to submit ourselves in this way. So I want to remind us today, a person that is passionate about the local church is going to make the church a priority. They're going to join the church. They're going to biblically submit to spiritual authority. They're going to support the church financially and then connect with one another. These are tangible things. These are things that we see and are evidence of a person that is passionate about the local church. And that's what God wants for us, right? If we're to truly love what God loves, that means we're gonna be passionate about his church. Well, we do wanna thank you so much for tuning into the message today. And if it's been a help and encouragement to you in any way, uh, we would ask that you share the podcast. And you can easily do that on either social media or maybe just uh, text the link to a friend. But like I said, it's our mission to help others find and follow Jesus here in Vancouver, uh, all across Canada and even around the world. And so you sharing the message today can really contribute towards that. Also, we would love for you to make a connection with us if you haven't already. And so the two best ways to do that is either by liking our Facebook page, that's City Baptist Church, or following our Instagram account at Van City Baptist. And of course, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca. We do have all of our past sermon series on there available for you to stream, uh, past services, uh, worship, and just lots of other content and resources there to encourage you and strengthen you in your walk with God. But once again, thank you so much for tuning in today. We are looking forward to next week's message from our new series, I Am. We love you, we're praying for you, and we're here for you.